going to uh, hear some words from Luke's Gospel now, Luke chapter 13, um, and uh, starting at the verse, come on, bone, talk yourself out, starting at verse 22, so Luke 13, 22, <coughs> want to follow along? This is the NIV. And it's uh, titled The Narrow Door. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Somebody asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. Or, where are you come from? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know you or where you come from. Got how to read. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first. And first, who will be last? At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely. No prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And pray God may bless that word to us. We're going to pray, sorry. <laughs> Got some prayers for <laughs> He's so eager to get up. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to pray um, and then, um, and then uh, I'll, I'll welcome you. Let's just pray together, and then uh, I'm going to pray for, for Malcolm as he brings the word. Creator God, thank you for the opportunity of being together in prayer. And as we look forward to the week to come, we pray for an awareness of your love and your support in everything we do. We're sorry that we only seem to turn to you in the down times of our lives and forget to thank you for the good times often. There's so much in your world for which we should be grateful, and we offer our thanks now. 
be with us and all those who need your loving touch at this time. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. And as Malcolm comes and uh, gives your word, I just pray, Lord, that you may uh, anoint him with your spirit now, that his words may be your words, and give us hearts and minds to hear and understand what you have to say. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for, for doing the reading. It's not the, the easiest one. Isn't it? No, not what I do anyway. Thank you for, thank you for inviting me once again. It's, it's lovely to be here. I don't normally play the God as part of the worship and before I speak. It's a wonderful way of suppressing the nerves. And I, I have to do it more often. It's wonderful to be here. So let me start with the prayer. It all may us speak in the name of the one true and living God. Amen. Amen. So imagine you were out on the street just wandering around the wilds of Sybil Hedigan and somebody comes up to you and says, someone wants to kill you. Well, you better get out of town. You better go somewhere else. Go and hide. Get out of the way. What do you think you would do if that happened to you? How would the conversation go if you were faced with that sort of threat? Would you even think twice? Is there a straightforward choice? You hang around and die or you run away, You leave your home? change your job and we will live for another day. I suspect most people will take the second option, given those two choices, especially as you know that it's Herod that wants you dead. Now this is not a, a stalker that's been pursuing you for ages, it's not a, a threatening, perhaps drunk person out in the street. Herod is the tetrarch, he's the head of the state in Galilee. He has the power of imperial Rome behind him. He's in control of your home area. He knows where your mother, your brother, and your sisters live. Very scary. And he has an army behind him. He has spies and he has reformers. It's very sad to note, as I was preparing this, that such things often don't change with time. There are such dictators are out there now still making the same or in some ways worse threats. They're still very much in power. But to make it first, this guy, this Herod chap, has, has form. You know, John the Baptist stood up to him once, and as a result, lost his head. So they're, they're telling him, you know, get away, or otherwise Herod will kill you. Go somewhere else. Go and preach in a totally different place. Now, you might expect Jesus to, to thank them for the warning, perhaps like Jalo or some other pop star, you know, hire some security to look after him and perhaps lay low for the time being. But Jesus doesn't heed the warning. In fact, if anything, it makes him all the more determined to keep doing what he is sent to do. Death really isn't a concern for him. And in fact, throughout all of the Gospels, Jesus spends a significant amount of time talking about his death. You know, Jesus knew he would be killed. He repeatedly predicts it. And even though he could have escaped it, like in today's reading, he could easily run away. He doesn't deviate from the path that God has given. But he makes it clear that his death is the main event of his ministry, the focus of his time here on earth. These few verses are a very, quite a powerful reminder of what Jesus is all about. At the beginning of this section in Luke's Gospel, it tells us that when the time came for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face on Jerusalem. And ten chapters later, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, 
passage we normally look at as part of the Easter services. Now he's not doing a, a touristy thing, he's not there for fun, he's not a pilgrim like so many people are today in Jerusalem, he's not a protester, he's not an anarchist, he is a sacrifice. You know, a really horrific thought that the Son of God should be treated in this way, that is what it's all about. Now, throughout the central section of Luke's Gospel, each part begins with a question. And the question that we had in this section that Nick kindly read a little earlier in verse 23 is where someone asks, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? A very powerful, very perceptive question. How many will be saved? So how many will there be? How wide is the membership of the kingdom that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to establish? And who is saved? How are they saved? What kind of king will Jesus be? And further questions, you know, why will the first be last and the last first? So many questions, so many things that we will touch on as we progress through this passage. But to be honest, it only really makes sense when it's linked to Jesus' journey to the cross, to his kingdom. So Jesus is told today, you know, get away, get out of here quickly. Herod wants to kill you. It's where we start from. But unlike how we would probably react, Jesus not only sticks to his purpose, but he responds to the threat from Herod with some very plain speaking. Now, Herod saw Jesus as a rival. After all, his father, Herod Senior, Herod the Great, had been proclaimed king of the Jews by Rome, and he ruled over the whole of Israel. And you'll be familiar with the, the Christmas story and the reaction of Herod Senior to the birth of Jesus. He went out and killed every small boy at that same age in the Bethlehem area. But by killing Jesus, Herod Junior would rid himself of what he sees as a rival, or what he sees as a troublemaker stirring up the crowd. But Jesus, rather than running away, pops put Herod right in a few things. Now Jesus starts by calling him a fox. A sly, deceitful fox saying, you're not a real king, I'm the real king, and I will continue doing what I want to do for as many days as I choose. And you can huff and you can puff, I know that's wolves, isn't it? <laughs> whatever foxes do, I will drive out demons and I will heal the sick, whatever you try and do. But Luke here is giving us a bit of an abbreviated version of what Jesus actually does, because this same exchange has actually happened several times already and Jesus is in fact setting out a, a checklist used for Messiah spotting, the full list you can find in uh, Isaiah 61 or in Luke 7. But the full list is he cured people with sicknesses, he cured people with evil spirits, he gave sight to the blind, he allowed the lame to walk, lepers were cleansed, he gave hearing to the deaf, the dead were raised and the good news was proclaimed to the poor. Now, if you see all these things in a person, you can happily call the Messiah spotting hotline because you found him. <laughs> He's the man that's doing all these wonderful things. Now, it would be nice to think in some ways that the Pharisees who gave in the morning at the beginning of the section here were well-meaning. They were trying to you know, look after Jesus, have his best interests in heart. But we know that from what happens later in the story that they were there for their own benefit. Now, while Jesus' death would have done them no harm, his vanishing off the scene would be much less messy. It wouldn't rile up the crowd in the same way. But they, the Pharisees, they have a real problem. 
Can you see what their problem is and what it is they haven't really thought through? Yeah, how can you threaten to kill someone who has the ability to raise people from the dead? What's the point? Being murdered has no such fear for a person such as this. Be scared of Herod. Why would Jesus be scared of Herod? You know, he knows what ultimately will happen to him. He had God with him. He had God with him all the way through his journey, very close by. But from our point of view, do we ever find that God is distant? Sometimes a bit hard to find. Well, that certainly wasn't the case in Galilee during the three years of Jesus's ministry. No one could fail to notice what Jesus was achieving. After all, he spent much of his time curing just about everyone he crossed his path. So if you were there in those days and attending the synagogue or at some sort of community meeting, or perhaps you were linked in with a school or you had a wider family, it would soon become filled up with people who would have been ex-blind, ex-lepers, ex-lame, ex-deaf, and even ex-dead in many cases. <laughs> no one at that time would have felt distant from God because the evidence of God was all around them. The miracles there were, were plain to be seen. And we too today can read these accounts that know that God was then and is now very present. Miracles and other such things do still happen. So Jesus firmly tells Herod that he will keep doing these miraculous things today, tomorrow, and the third day, every day until his time comes to an end. So Jesus is saying that his death would not come until he had completed his work, and he completes his work on the cross in Jerusalem. Now, from where we stand in history, we can see that Herod was not entirely wrong about the death thing. He was evidently on to something. He would play a big part in it. He would complete it. He just got his timing a bit wrong at this point. He was a little bit early and he was in the wrong place. But Herod would come face to face with Jesus. But it would not be until he arrived in Jerusalem when he achieved his goal as stated by the prophets and stated by Jesus that no prophet, no true prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Now, in the final part of our passage, we have what is in effect an Old Testament lament. You can hear Jesus almost putting on a different voice, really. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and stone those that are sent to you. But that very quickly changes into, the, into showing the real heart of Jesus, what he's really all about where he says, how often do I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under his wings? But sadly, you were not willing to come. Now, I don't know whether you've ever thought of uh, Jesus as a big mother hen. I must say, it's not a picture <laughs> that has often occurred to me, but it's a, you know, a very powerful passage. And it's actually repeated from the Old Testament in Psalm 91. The same words are in fact used about gathering the children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But it's clear that we will face troubles, we will face trials. There will be wars and rumours of wars. There will be food shortages. There will be environmental disasters. There will be earthquakes. But Jesus says, see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. They're just the beginning of the birth pains, but the end is still to come. But Jesus wants us to be ready he wants us to be united as one, one body. The end is still to come, but he wants to enfold his wings around us and protect us in the same way he wanted to back in Jerusalem. And Jesus wants everybody to be there. 
be honest, he wanted Herod to be there. He wanted the high priests and the Pharisees to be there. They were all part of his creation. He loved them. These were grand, important people who would have expected themselves to be part of God's kingdom. But this part of Luke's gospel speaks of who is in God's kingdom and who is not. And many of the top people in Jewish society would have been certain that they were in, but they rejected Jesus. They didn't turn to him. They didn't realize who he was. And as a result, they were excluded from the kingdom. A little bit earlier in chapter 13, Jesus speaks of the fig tree, which over three years has not produced any fruit and should be cut down. And Jesus was talking about the Jewish leaders who, despite hearing the message, despite being in direct contact with him, didn't produce any fruit. In fact, they, they did the opposite. So after that, Jesus then implores his listeners to make every effort, strive to enter through the narrow door, because once the house owner closes the door, it stays closed. So Jeff, Jesus went to his death praying for those who killed him. He came to save them, but they were not willing to come under his wings. And their refusal was totally devastating for them. Their house will be left desolate. God will abandon the city and the temple. And to be on the wrong side of King Jesus is, to be honest, is to be on the wrong side of history. Now Jesus is saying to Herod, I am the real king. You will kill me because that completes my plan. But as a result, the end, we bring out the end of your entire kingdom. And this was you know, a very accurate prediction, because just 37 years later, the Romans destroyed the city and the temple. So we knew it was coming. But to answer the question posed a little earlier about will the number of people getting into God's kingdom be few? Well, the answer is no. There will be many. There will be people who expect to get in who won't. Those who can't enter, you know, can't blame ignorance. They can't say they didn't know. God did not hide his king. You know, in those days, he was very funny. He marched in Jerusalem, crowds and so many people saw him. He was not hidden at all. He was very apparent to anybody who chose to look. And at that point, the door was wide open. Anybody who turned to him could easily walk in. But it's to be clear that the only way in is to accept Jesus as king, and to become one of his subjects, to be part of his family, to submit to Jesus as king. And that's why Herod, the high priest, etc., didn't make it. All Herod needed to do was to get on his knees before Jesus, remove his crown, accept that he was to be humbled. All he had to do was something as easy as that to enter. And so do you, so do I. That's all we need to do is Come before Jesus, just bow before him, be humble. Now people, many people out there reject Jesus. And it's so much, much more than an unfortunate mistake. And people say, no, I don't want to do it, I haven't got the time, I'm too busy. It's much more than a, a polite refusal. No, no, don't tell me about the kingdom, I really don't want to know. To refuse the offer of Jesus is actually tragic. Herod refused. The way he dealt with it was actually to have Jesus killed. The people of today have the same invitation. Jesus is the king. God is the creator. And you can either accept or decline that life-saving offer.
But to refuse really, in effect, puts a knife into Jesus' heart. Herod killed him. Well, you're doing much the same if we refuse. The people he loved, the people he came to save, rejected him. That's really painful to me. But we see from the passage that the kingdom is no longer reserved to the Jews that Jesus was speaking to at that point in time. We read that people from the north, south, east, and west can be part of God's family. And what's even more amazing is that people who are last in the queue, people who are at the end of society morally and socially, will also be able to get in because this the kingdom is entirely about the death of Jesus. The idea that we think we deserve our place in the kingdom is simply of no relevance whatsoever. Now, if you can imagine the queue of people hoping to enter the kingdom, you know, the first at one end, the last right, right down at the other end, you know, the best people who can think they're the best, you know, morally and socially up there, people at this end, they're at one end, and then morally and socially, we might consider dodgy people are down <laughs> at the other end, people who are looked down on by many people in society, who are right down there at the last end. And then Jesus comes and he walks into Jerusalem saying, I'm doing everything that the Old Testament said the Messiah would do. And he dies as a sacrifice in place of the guilty, the undeserving. Which means that from that point on, it doesn't matter where you are in the queue, because the place opened by Jesus is available for everyone to walk through, everyone who turns to so if we were to look into the hearts and minds of the person at each end of the queue, we find somebody at the, the first end will believe that they deserve just to walk into God's kingdom because of who they are, the jobs they've done, their place in society. They simply do not realise how far short they are from where God wants them to be. The only way they can enter is to adopt the attitude of someone from the other end of the queue. That is the only way in, except what Seek forgiveness, turn to Jesus. The narrow door is really shaped for those who don't deserve it and have to rely totally on Jesus. They may not have the money or the other means. Jesus has to be relied on totally. And that door is cross-shaped. You follow Jesus from the cross, you go through that door. Whereas somebody at the first end of the queue will hate that option. They won't want to say, yeah, I don't deserve to be in the kingdom. Look me, you know, I do all sorts of wonderful things. I should be first in the queue. They get it so wrong. But people at the other end of the queue will actually fear that the door is too narrow for them. They might think they've been too bad, too undeserving. And simply God won't want them. Many will not get into the kingdom who expect to. But no one is refused for being too bad. No one is refused for being unworthy. Not making it is entirely about refusing or accepting Jesus' invitation. Some people refuse because of apathy, perhaps because of pride, perhaps they think it's all a load of mumbo-jumbo, or people are afraid what their, their friends might think. That's why people refuse. But the reason you won't get in will never be because you are too far back in the queue. You're too undeserving. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door, but I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes. Amen. Amen. Amen.